chest pain, the heart palpitations, the dizziness, the tingling, your body's going numb in different parts. Some who caught the virus early on are still grappling with the long-term effects. I'd walk to the letterbox, I'd stop and I'd rest, I'd come back and that was it, I'd, I'd sit down for an hour. A group of around 200 Kiwis suffer what is known as long COVID. They call themselves the long haulers. And no one can tell you anything, no one can help you. This week, the world passed 204 million cases of COVID-19 and 4.3 million deaths. 183 million people have recovered. But have they really? Early international research has shown as many as 30% of COVID patients develop ongoing complications. A Kiwi study is still working on the rates here. They're now loosely saying either 1 in 10 or as much as 1 in 3 will suffer long-term consequences from having had COVID. An urgent study is seeking to understand the long-term effects COVID-19's had on some New Zealand sufferers. The post-viral condition known as long COVID has been described by the World Health Organisation as a global burden. Long COVID is the crushing avalanche of a health problem that the world is only just beginning to realise is about to hit. Profound fatigue is one of the most common symptoms, but far from the only one. You may think you've recovered from the virus, you relapse, and it doesn't seem to matter if you just had a mild case or a severe one. Young or old, fit or not, it doesn't seem to discriminate. Sufferers here believe New Zealand, with its low COVID infection rates, is ideally placed to study its effects. They say they can't wait for the government to dish out research grants and are trying to raise money to privately fund research now. I'm Alexia Russell and today on The Detail I'm talking to a University of Auckland researcher who's making some interesting connections between the virus and Parkinson's disease and to New Zealand's poster girl for long COVID. I had that on my CV for my (laughs) career dreams and aspirations to be stopped in the street by random people. You're the COVID girl. Aucklander Janine Crossan is the face of a group of about 250 COVID long haulers. She caught the virus early back in March last year, and it's absolutely battered her immune system. I asked her why she's putting herself forward in the fight to get some help. Certainly not fame, notoriety or money. Uh, it doesn't help for any of those things. It's a great way to make friends with anti-vaxxers who love to mm, pop their heads up. Great. I feel like I have a certain level of responsibility, I guess, in that I've been in media for a long time. I've been running my own businesses for a long time. I sit in a position of privilege to be able to help. And if I look around my group, they haven't had that same level of training. Janine's sounding a heck of a lot better than she did last year when RNZ caught up with her. <coughs> Sorry. This was Janine Crossan's raspy cough as she lay in her North Shore hospital bed after being diagnosed with COVID-19 10 months ago. She struggled to catch a breath as she spoke to Checkpoint on March the 21st, just days before New Zealand went into Level 4 lockdown. It's just all here and of course the coughing is making my esophagus just raw and, and uh, yeah... Janine says the four days she spent in hospital was among the most traumatising experiences of her life. It still does scare me, yeah. I I can only read the news for a certain amount of times a week, otherwise I get too overwhelmed by it. It's quite traumatic, the whole watching and waiting and hoping things aren't going to get worse, feeling in, in, you know very much, uh, sorry I lose words, I can't think of the ones I want to use, (laughs) Um, very much that things are going to get worse again and I have to be careful not to catastrophise things in my own head too because of that trauma. Mm. Um, So I just walk myself back a bit and go and 
pretend it doesn't exist and just put my feet in the beach of Piha. Well, <sighs> it, it is a very, you know, it's a unique thing, isn't it? It's a disease that's been so documented. There's mm. thousands of pieces of research emerging on it all the time. Mm. An avalanche of information is coming out. It yeah. can, I guess it can be overwhelming. Especially when every person points them to me. So, <laughs> so, and everybody comes from the bless of their, you know, their cotton socks. They're sending them to, for the for the right intent, um, but every person who comes across every piece sends them to me as direct messages or emails or um, whatever else format that they can come across. And it is quite a lot. And normally, um, when they discover something, I'm the first person they tag in, or they get into a fight with an anti-vaxxer, I'm the first person they tag in. A lot of them are really scared to come out, and I don't blame them. The bullying is pretty substantial, and most of them are suffering from um, the, the community or their whanau or even their um, within their workplaces not believing them or supporting them people have had they've got horrific stories and they um, they're traumatized and so they need people to be able to step up for them and advocate for them but I am shocked at the way I'm dismissed and the arrogance in which doctors tell me nothing's wrong with me talking to some people who've had these of long symptoms, the thing that really, the first thing they say is, that, oh, you know, I've had a real hard time getting people to acknowledge that I'm sick here. They're saying, well, you know, that they feel there's a perception that they should be better. I think these problems are serious and they're real and that it's really unhelpful for people to be told that this is all in their head and they just need to get out more and, and do more exercise and it'll all be okay. Do people still think that you might be contagious? Oh yeah, I've had that. And you know, the funny thing is where I get that? In hospitals. Really? Mm. Wow. Yeah. And, and how do you how do you respond to that? Um, I try to be very gentle with them. I was because um, they haven't met many people with COVID. As I try to be with most people in New Zealand as patient, and remind them that this is a privilege of New Zealand. And if I'm still the only person that you've ever met that's had COVID, then you are very, very, very lucky. So <sighs> we've only had about what three thousand people who've had COVID. Those are the official figures. And <laughs> of those, how many do you estimate? have long COVID? Uh, those are tough ones for me to be able to estimate. There are 250 people within our group. Um, when I first joined that, I think there were five or six of us, and that was around August last year. Um, th- we don't promote it. It's self-discovery. Uh, of course, when we do interviews like this, um, we, we're able to you know, highlight it and people find us. That we're on Facebook? or It's on Facebook is yeah. the group. And... Um, Look, within our group, 50% of them never um, had, and I choose these words very carefully, the um, privilege of a PCR test. And I say that because there is a certain amount of privilege attached to having had your positive test. Um, I was very lucky to get mine at the time that I did. I hadn't been to Wuhan. I hadn't been to Italy. The healthline response was, no, you will not have COVID. It's anxiety. Loved being told told that. So you had a PCR test in New Zealand? Yeah, but I pushed quite hard and was able to get a PCR Mm. test. Um, But within my group, so many of them either were like myself, being told they couldn't have it, or by the time that they got the test, they were no longer um, showing as positive, or they were overseas and Mm. um, and couldn't get one. So they're generally people who got it early on in the outbreak? Definitely. Okay, so the fact that you're documented... You think that gives you an advantage when it comes to dealing what with health authorities? Oh, yes, absolutely. Otherwise, they think that you're probably a little bit crazy and have contract. These people are continuously being gaslit, the most gaslit people in our community, I believe. And is it because of the nature of the symptoms? 
Um, I think it, yeah, when it's, there's so much of it that um, people point to and go, it's psychological. It's not psychological. <laughs> we all have exactly the same symptoms. Yeah. Okay, so run through for me what the symptoms are. Um, the most common ones, uh, last, last count, sorry, um, is over 114 different um, symptoms that could be catalogued towards long COVID. But the most common ones are around chronic fatigue, um, uh, brain fog. <laughs> Funny enough, it was a word I couldn't <laughs> <Yeah>. remember. <laughs> oh, the irony. Uh, and um, uh, lung and chest issues, obviously, uh, depending on how bad that the, the initial um, sequelae was, was for people. Um, then around that would be inflammation, um, gastrointestinal issues. Um, it, it's a it's a really a long list. For me, I had 19 different symptoms. Uh, vast majority of them, I would suggest I've got to a pretty good place, but um, I call it 80%. So as long as I live my life well and I don't eat the wrong things, I don't drink anything wrong or do anything else and I don't try to push myself, then I can live relatively normal and I choose one thing a day. You're my one thing a day today. <laughs> oh, feel special. Yeah. I don't try to cram more than that. That's kind of a life half-lived though, isn't it? I mean, that must be very difficult for someone like you who's used to being superwoman. Yeah. I don't know if that was really good for me though, was it? Mm. <laughs> I feel like potentially I was ripe silver for falling lining. over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There are lots of silver yeah. linings. Okay, yeah. so we've got about you've got about two fifty in your group. Chances are there are more people out there in New Zealand suffering from long COVID. We feel like there is a number that's much larger than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's your thrust now? What you, you've got something on the boil? Tell me about that. So, Dr. Anna Brooks from Auckland University, immunologist, um, and I have been collaborating for gosh, well over a year now, trying to seek funding to specifically research long COVID within New Zealand. These people that have had COVID here and have got chronic symptoms still, many of those were from um, contracting the virus back in March. So, you know, here we are quite far along the track from March in 2020 and they're still suffering and nobody knows what to do. So I have been passionate about trying to establish a study to try and help them. The reasons for this are twofold. One is we want to be able to give people with long COVID um, some very clear answers as to where they're at. So the people who were not able to get the testing to give them a specific answer of whether they've actually ever had COVID or not. And in the future, as things come through, we realise with people with long COVID may be well exposed to other things, you're going to want to know up front whether actually that is in fact what you have. It's definitely important to look at these people because they are suffering and we don't know how long they will be suffering for. Dr. Victor Derricks is from Auckland University's Centre for Brain Research. He's not so sure New Zealand is the best place for long COVID research because we don't have a lot of it here. In the UK, uh, they've done big studies and 10 months later, we're seeing that a lot of people are still suffering from loss of smell uh, shortness of breath, headaches, fatigue. A lot of people report unable to work months after their infection. So I can only imagine how the people here in New Zealand are feeling. So it's really important to follow these people up. But for some studies, you need a bigger sample to be able to look at the commonalities between uh, people. Dr. Derricks is doing some research that's long COVID related, but his specialty is Parkinson's disease. There are some commonalities, so some treatments could be used for both. And it's possible that in some people who may be destined to develop Parkinson's, the COVID virus could trigger it. 
one of the early symptoms of Parkinson's is that people lose their sense of smell five to ten years before they start to show their the motor symptoms. So I've been looking at how uh, the loss of smell, uh, how this happens in Parkinson's disease, uh, as a segue to find a therapy for Parkinson's disease before the more severe uh, symptoms happens. So the crossover with COVID uh, research started uh, in the early months of 2020 when reports came through from hospitals that said that over 50% of people with COVID reported uh, loss of smell. So this was something that was, was quite uh, peculiar. Uh, and then over the course of uh, a few more months, a few case reports came through. And all of these were from uh, patients who were perfectly healthy. They had COVID. And within two to five weeks after being affected with the virus, they started showing Parkinson symptoms. So they started uh, going really shaky. They did some MRI scans. They saw that the brain activity was reduced, treated these patients with the typical medication we use in Parkinson's disease, and their uh, motor impairments uh, were resolved. So this was really interesting. Although it doesn't really mean that the virus causes Parkinson, because um, it might be that the disease uh, changed something within these people and they're already on the way to develop Parkinson, but it just got it a lot okay. worse really soon. Accelerates it. It accelerates it. So we know from uh, other uh, research um, that some viruses cause Parkinson's. So that's why I'm really interested in this disease and its links to Parkinson's. Dr. Derricks has another reason to be interested in long COVID. At home in Belgium, friends and relatives, including his mother and a 16-year-old cousin, have contracted the virus. My mom was the first one. She's 76, uh, suffers from dementia, kidney dialysis. So when she uh, got infected with COVID, I was uh, really struggling. Uh, called her the next day. She was chipper ass. Next day, she had um, uh, some extra oxygen, and then the day after, she was admitted to hospital, and I couldn't hear f- from her for the next uh, five days. Gosh, that journey of distance must be so hard. Yeah, it's really hard. Uh, luckily, she managed to pull through, but was unable to walk for uh, a month and a half, two months, and only now she's back together. Uh, my cousin, who is 16, contracted... COVID through school. She attends sports school. She's, so she's really fit, uh, dancer, recovered from COVID, but then a week, two late, weeks later, she was struggling with abdominal pain. Uh, went to hospital. They discharged her. Five hours later, she, they were back. She was admitted to ICU, stayed there for the next couple of days. Um, the stories that her mom tells me that she almost died by her side are really traumatizing. Um, and this has been 10 months ago, and she is still suffering from long COVID. So as an athlete, she can't exercise. So she's really, uh, shortness of breath is still there. She's also more anxious than what she was. So all of these things are still affecting her. And this is an example of somebody that's perfect, was perfectly healthy. 
and young. It seems so random. I mean, normally with health-related things, you tick off the usual suspects, the obesity, the lack of fitness as being people who would, you know, struggle more with disease. But with long COVID, that doesn't, there's no rule there yet. No, no, and it's, that's the, the worrying part is that so many people with mild symptoms seem to be suffering from this long COVID. Mm. So here in New Zealand, how well placed are we to do research on long COVID? So I hope sincerely that we don't have to look at long COVID in New Zealand. We have this unique opportunity to protect us all because we've been in a bubble, were to say. Uh, at the moment, we're, the tally's at 2,900 people with COVID, confirmed COVID. So if everybody gets vaccinated, we'll all get a high immune response and are most likely not to get any severe symptoms from COVID and no long-term effects. So it would be really interesting to study the response of the mass vaccination and to see how it prevents against uh, long COVID, because that is something that other countries can't do. Everybody's been exposed to the virus and different forms of the virus. He points out that there is a huge amount of research coming out internationally and COVID has made the world's scientists more collaborative. New Zealand, because we are free of COVID at the moment, a lot of people are looking at New Zealand to do clinical studies, not related to COVID, but for everything, because there's not that interaction of, of COVID, so we, we can still behave, do everything we do. So New Zealand has become a really uh, important place in the world. Uh, for research in general. Sort of like a clean laboratory, if you like. Yes. Yeah. But other researchers, such as Dr Anna Brooks, are frustrated that little effort from New Zealand has so far been put into this area. There's been no trials, there's been no publications to say this is why people suffer long term. Research needs to be done so we can understand what we need to treat. Worldwide, it's a huge problem because we now have a whole new disease entity that people are going to be carrying with them and we don't know for how long. Now that I'm dealing with something that's been going on for a year and I actually have no information, I have nothing to help me, nothing to focus on, nothing to, to, to know and think about. Sure, 250 people and stand as a small group, but if we're going to be going with a rolling vaccination program, getting people to the point where we feel you know, we can open the borders again, COVID's going to be coming into our community. And when it comes into our community, we will have breakthrough infections that lead to hospitalisations. And we will also have people who still get long COVID. Mm. So we need to understand the implications of it, not just at an individual level, but at a, uh, a public health level. What's the burden that's going to have on um, our system that's already under pressure? And then further from there, what's the impact on a socioeconomic basis? What's the impact on whānau? The vast majority of my people don't work anymore. There is some research being done here, including a study by the Christchurch Heart Institute being announced today, looking at New Zealanders exposed to COVID-19 and how long antibodies to the virus might last. It will particularly focus on why some people develop long COVID and have a protracted recovery. Janine Crossan knows of other work in the mix. The government at some stage over the next week or two will announce that they're doing some long COVID research, but it is not biomedical based. It's based on surveying from um, individual COVID people like myself filling out a survey about how it's impacted me, um, which is, has uses to it, but it doesn't include people who didn't get positive PCR. So it's not going to give us any kind of understanding of how much broader the 
sphere is of people who have had COVID in New Zealand, which we suspect is much higher than 3,000 people. I, I, I sense a little bit of um, cynicism towards government efforts in, uh, in this area. The, how, <laughs> how, how bad has the government support been for long COVID sufferers? I'd like to um, preempt this by saying that I'm very grateful for the government's efforts of keeping our borders tight and safe and keeping Aotearoa clean of COVID. I think they've done an extraordinary job and I do not underestimate how difficult that has been and how complex that is. Um, I have been a, a grand big supporter the whole way through. I potentially am feeling a little frustrated myself after um, 17, 18 months of asking, pleading for help and um, looking at a group of people where I know mental health is at a crisis there and who have been the most impacted people of COVID in New Zealand and have been entirely ignored by the government. And I think that's really sad. They can't get ACC. They're not getting any kind of um, public health response. They're being ignored in the public health system. They're being pushed back saying, we have no place for you. We don't know what to do with you. Being gaslit, we don't believe in long COVID. They're hearing that from, from GPs still. There's no pathways. There's no protocols. There's no official information about whether we should be getting the vaccines or not. There's a lot of, yes, we plan on, but not a lot of actual we're doing. But uh, government aside, look, everybody has their hands out wanting to do lots of different things. I understand there's only a certain depth to that pot of money and it can only go so far. So um, we reached a point saying, let's just go do this ourselves. Let's ask out there um, into the community people who can afford to help to help. And we'll go out after grants. We'll ask various foundations to help us. And um, let's just... Let's just be that change ourselves. And so we've been banging on that drum, and that's what we're, we're asking people, you know, five bucks if you can, 50,000 if you're well, that way inclined, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's all for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and is a joint newsroom RNZ production. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day from any podcast platform. And if you want to get in touch, email us at thedetail at rnz.co.nz. Alex Aylett McMillan engineered this episode. Jesse Chang and Emil Donovan helped produce it. And thanks to Janine Crossan and Dr. Victor Derricks. Kakite. <laughs>